And welcome to Catholics Coast to Coast, where we get to enhance the conversation this week about what it means to deepen our walk with God and to enhance our faith. You can, of course, go to Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio so you can get encouragement throughout the week. And this week, we're taking it to the gentleman. The Catholic gentleman is giving us a chance to eavesdrop even on John, Devin, and Sam as they answer the nagging thought that money will make life better, that if only we had more money, we could accomplish the things in life that we want and not have to worry, right? Live a happier life. Well, how do we view money through God's eyes is the conversation this week on Catholics Coast to Coast. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We're blessed that you have decided to join us for this uh, brief period of time. Uh, if this is your first time joining us, please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast player or YouTube channel that you are following us on. We'd love to get this to you each and every week. If you've listened to us multiple times, you enjoy what we're doing, we'd love it if you wrote us a review on your player of choice. That helps the algorithm get it. Um, this episode to more men. So thank you so very much. We are your hosts. I'm John Heinen. We've got Sam Guzman and we've got Devin Shod. And if this is your first time listening in the last few weeks, yes, Devin Shod is our uh, new uh, co-host, uh, friend, uh, incredible man of uh, God and a man with deep wisdom to help other men join and uh, and fight in the battle of, of masculinity today. So Devin, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? I'm good. I'm I'm recovering. I'm recovering from my illness. Last time yeah. I had a much deeper voice that impressed Sam. So <laughs> we don't get that this week. So yeah. <laughs> uh, and if if those of you who are listening uh don't know who what Devin looks like, just imagine like Clint Eastwood, but a lot nicer. I'll take it. I'll take it. And a lot shorter. <laughs> I love it. So um, if you're looking for a way to support, uh, definitely head over to catholicgentlemanplus.com. We would be blessed to join you there. This episode, and the reason why I bring it up is because this episode uh, in its full length version is going out every single week on the Catholic Gentleman Plus. So we uh, put this, um, it is shorter. It's going to be what, 45, 50 minutes, but there's a longer version, uh, more like an hour and a half that comes out every single week inside of Catholic Gentleman Plus. So if you like what you're hearing, you want to go deeper, definitely head over to Catholic Gentleman Plus. In addition to this episode, you're supporting the Catholic Gentleman. You sign up for an annual subscription, you're going to get our Saint Quote book, which is broken up in categories. And we also have tons of sessions coming out every month with different guest series, um, dialoguing about certain spiritual themes and topics as they relate to men. So, so today, wanted to talk about winning the lottery and what that would do for your life, right? And I think that this is a fun topic because if you if you live in Texas, I live in Texas, or really anywhere, you see those huge Powerball signs, you see those mega million signs, right? And I'm a marketing, um, uh, I guess, uh, expert. That's my profession. And I think there's nothing more, uh, or there's nothing closer to uh, a win than really touching on someone's uh, avarice or greed. And you just put up $141 million or at recently... Uh, we've seen the Powerball and the Mega Million, according to those signs, get over a billion dollars uh, twice, I think, in the last month. And so I had to look. And sure enough, in America, 181 million individuals purchase one of these two lottery tickets every year. That's 57% of Americans. And when you take into account that I, you know, there's a huge amount, 70 some million that are under 18 that can't even purchase them. That is a lot of adults that are looking for uh, this 
uh, in their lives, right? Looking for more money, looking for more possessions. And I'll be, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't say that those temptations don't affect me as well. When I see 141 million, your mind just immediately starts daydreaming to what you would do with that money. But basically, what I have come to realize, right, is is what all the spiritual fathers have is that you know more money is we equate to just more things and more possessions and therefore, you know, a certain degree of happiness or a certain degree of peace, um, that security that comes along with it. And so I wanted to dialogue about that today and I wanted to turn it over to you, Sam. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on right out the gate of why today do you feel that um, greed is, is so prevalent and something that we men need to be aware of? Yes, well, I, I I do think uh, a lot of it goes back to marketing. So uh, good job, John. Uh, you are <laughs> affecting society in a big way. No, <laughs> I am not marketing lottery <laughs> tickets. Just <laughs> worth no, you do good kind of marketing. But yeah. <laughs> but all that to say, like there are massive corporations. I mean, you look at just like one, like Apple, like trillion dollar corporation, you know, like just just massive company. Like we can't even wrap our heads around how much money these companies make. And there's there's hundreds of them, thousands of them, and they're and they're employing incredibly intelligent people who specialize in psychology and human behavior, and they have incredibly powerful means in these devices that we carry in our pockets, uh, social media applications, things like that, where they can reach like almost into your mind and program your desires and they do it incredibly well. And so you say, well, I want that new phone. Yeah. Okay. But where did that desire come from before you wanted it, before you were consciously aware of that desire, advertisers and marketers had been implanting these desires in your unconscious mind, sometimes months, even years in advance. And they work on you until all of a sudden these desires bubble to the surface. So I, well, I think it's important to acknowledge that, yes, greed is a huge problem in our society today. But, you know, and that can be a very voluntary thing. Like people can give in to this desire and feed it and, and stoke the flames, if you will. But also to be aware that there are massive forces at work culturally and socially that are working on our, our, our unconscious minds and hearts day in and day out. I mean, literally almost anywhere you turn, you get a magazine, every other page is an advertisement. Um, you know, you stop at a gas pump and right there, they've got advertisements above the pump, you know, and like you drive down the road, a beautiful scenic highway, and there's like billboards everywhere obstructing your view. And so I just, we may not even be conscious of it most of the time. We're not aware that this is happening, but it is. So I think that's a huge part. And the other thing I'll just mention real quick is, don't underestimate the power of celebrities and the images that they project. They are the kind of like little gods in our society that that tell us like we are happy, we are we are we have everything. We <laughs> you want to be like me, um, and that can be really powerful, especially when you look at some of these celebrities have like ten million Instagram followers, you know, or you know, some of them have been more than that. I think some of them have like a hundred million or things like that, just astronomical numbers. And with every image that they post, they're, again, telling you, like, this is what your life should look like. And all these people go out and buy the same clothes and the same shoes. And then it's like, and as Catholics, it can be easy to say, like, well, we're we're immune to that. We don't care what these people are doing. 
Um, and yet I think these things, these forces are at work on our soul all the time, all the time. We're just swimming in this sea of, of influence um, that's trying to capture our attention and affect our desires. And all of these desires that they're implanting in us, I just want to emphasize, are competing against the kingdom of God. You know, yeah. and and so just know that it's not always neutral. Um, and we need to be aware of what's happening so that we can respond uh, accordingly, you know, according to higher values. But anyway, I that's... I think that that's one really important thing to talk about. And I... So it's actually called persuasion in marketing terms, just so you guys know what we're talking about here. And and you can do a quick little thought experiment. A friend of mine, uh, a better marketer than myself, and actually working for the pro-life movement, uh, an incredible man, he basically said, you know, close your eyes and think of a pickup truck. You want to buy a pickup truck. Which pickup truck, if you had to make that decision right now, would you go get? And generally speaking, you can come up with one. Is it built Ford Tough? Is it, you know, the Chevy Silverado? Um, which one is it? And the thing is, is the point, the point being that because you can already decide one, it's because that that influence has been basically building up in your brain um, for years and years and years. And then when that moment occurs to you or that that ability happens to you, you kind of already know which one you you want. And even if you haven't test driven, driven them. And so that is really important. And I do think that that is one big thing of, of our modern minds. I was listening to Father Mark Mary of the CFRs not too long ago, and he was talking about recommending not even going window shopping uh, today because that uh, they all know what they're doing. They all know how they make their phones, how they make their toys, how they make their clothes, et cetera, look overwhelmingly appealing to you, whether you need them or not. And we frankly just fall prey or victim to uh, this sort of um, uh, this sort of psychological manipulation that is put upon us. And I will just add that I brought my little daughter um, in her beauty to a daddy-daughter date not too long ago and made the mistake of going window shopping with her. And it didn't matter how great that hour and a half was. The fact that I wasn't buying her anything turned the emotional clock in the wrong direction. And, <laughs> and so I was like, learned experience. She is eight years old, and this was not a good idea. We're going bike riding next time. So anyways, so Devin, I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on other things with this or other things within the American mindset that make uh, this desire for more money all the more appealing. Yeah. I, what is the fascination with money? I think people long for money because they know that money is going to give them power. So it gives me the power to buy what I want. It gives me the power to have what I want. It even gives me the power to influence people or to get people to supposedly like me. So I know very several wealthy people, and it's amazing how people hover around them or are grabbing onto them, socially speaking, hoping that they'll just receive a handout. They'll receive something. So money truly at the end of the day is all about power. Now, why is this, I guess, adverse to us? What we're looking for is we're looking to be real men, men who have character, men who have moral character. So there's a, there's a dichotomy here, or there's an opposition. The world says, the devil through the world says, you want power, you need money. Win the lottery or just 
basically be dependent on the government, welfare. These are the two extremes. Win the lottery, you have all the power without God. Welfare, you have no God, but you have a government that takes care of you. And both are absent of self-will where you're participating in something. Now, here's the key. Why is this so evil? Because when we're looking to worldly power, which is rooted in money, we're actually doing ourselves a disservice of acquiring real power, which in the Latin and the Greek is virtus, which is virtue. So virtue is an operating habit or a habit operating toward an end, toward a good end, right? So we cultivate that virtue to learn how to be a man. So this is the tension. The more we learn, lean toward wanting money and more, the less we will be. Because we will be appealing to a power that we think is going to give us worldly power. Meanwhile, we're giving up the pursuit for real power, which is virtue, which actually comes through the hard work of working, of actually not having enough money sometimes and figuring out how to make ends meet, how to get by, how to be creative, et cetera, persevere, perseverance, patience, all those things, which we will probably talk about. But really, this is the fundamental battle. Yeah, and thank you. Because... That's when I was reflecting on this, I was actually wondering where this fits in with um, the temptations of the the flesh, right? The lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh and pride of life and pride of life is that of power, right? And I found it kind of like both and right? We've got this and I haven't read anything about this, but I was just reflecting on this, that we've got this, you know, lust of the flesh, which is our carnal desires that, uh, you know, in satiation, need to be satiated and met uh, to a degree moderately uh, so that we're not um, falling into sin. But then we also have the uh, lust of the eyes, right? Which is that desire for possession, that desire for more. And that actually does play into this. But I think you hit the nail on the head there, Devin, is that it's really that pride of life because, uh, greed tempts us in two ways, right? Uh, that I'm maybe three ways. I'm going to say two ways. And in these two ways that greed tempts us, the first is, is that security, right? Is that, um, that, um, we, there's an unknown in our future and we are secure when we have enough money inflation, which is just hitting all of us and our grocery bills are going through the roof, et cetera. That is a very real problem and a very real trial that we are experiencing today. But if we had enough money, then it, it wouldn't be a struggle. It wouldn't be a difficulty. If we had enough money, those sort of things wouldn't affect us as they do. But then the second one that, that you're talking about is that the trickiness about the temptation of greed is that it's kind of an umbrella over every single thing that money could purchase, right? So that possibility that could gain us status, that could gain us power, that we could have a better home, more cars, whatever the case might be. And we live in an American society that frankly pushes this. And I think that that's one of the, the bedrocks of our society, as, as we're getting to here, is that basically financial aggressive pursuit is to be rewarded um, as a lofty goal in life. That being said, is if you're not climbing the social ladder, if you're not um, keeping up with the Joneses, if you're not flexing through your possessions, then you're kind of a fool, you know? But then we look to St. Paul who says in Philippians that all earthly possessions that he had, he considered a loss, right? Mm. Um, rubbish. Verse, exact, rubbish, exactly, versus a gain. And, and I feel like that's something, you know, Sam, you did such a great job. We were talking about the marketing side of why this, this temptation of, of avarice is so far upon us. But I also think it's important to talk about that um, our society today is built on success in life is 
what your possessions are, how much money you're making, what your status is. And that's that power, Devin, that you were talking about. I think it is important to highlight what you talk about, what you're talking about, John, in the sense that the desire to win the lottery doesn't always come from, from greed. It can, but it also can come from what you're talking about, which is like a freedom from anxiety, a freedom mm. from worry about money. Because let's face it, like you said, like the economy is is out of control. Uh, you know, groceries are through the roof, just basic staples. You know, we've we've added a few things to our Amazon cart sometimes where it's like, oh, just it's just something simple. It's like, you know, 20 bucks or whatever. Well, you know, surely it won't add up that much. And then you look at the total in the cart and it's like three hundred dollars <laughs> or something, or you or you go to yeah, you place a, a Walmart order or something, and it's just like a loaf of bread, a couple gallons of milk or something. It can't be that much. And it's like, you know, $250 by the time you're done for just a few basic staples. And like the economy we're living in is so unjust and so stacked against families, especially single income families. There you go. That there's a lot of stress and worry. Um, if you're a single income family in the modern world, you have, you know, multiple children, uh, as we all do, you know, that it, it's going to place a financial strain on you. You're going to feel that stress. You're going to feel that anxiety. And the, the desire, you know, at least when I felt tempted by it, the desire to win the lottery for me has never really come from like, I want, you know, a massive palace. You know, I want like, you know, Lamborghini or something like that. Right. It's literally come from like, I just want to buy groceries and not freak out about it. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's that <laughs> simple. Um, and so I think it's also, yeah, like that letting go of control is very hard for men to live according to Matthew six, you know, where it's like, sufficient for today is is the evils thereof you know just like as jesus admonished us like trust and trust tomorrow to god your father and you worry about the problems of today like that's hard for men like we want a plan we want a strategy we want you know a, a fat 401k we want you know big reserves and savings and like if you can do that more power to you but you know, for those who may not be able to do that in the time that we want to do that, there is struggle, there is strain, there is worry, and and the lottery feels like this blissful way out or escape from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so whether it's security or success on these two ends of the spectrum, it's causing us to doubt. And I think that that's what the devil is all about. The devil, he begins every temptation with the seed of doubt. And that seed of doubt is, will, if we're not careful, will lead us into discouragement. That mm. discouragement is anti-courage. God wants us to be courageous for the Holy Spirit is no cowardly spirit, as St. Paul tells Timothy. Therefore, what the devil is going to do to try to get us to back off from becoming the men that we're called to be is he's going to instill doubt especially in our finances, especially in providing for our family. So it's insecurity or when we look to others and we see their success and we come up lacking. So these are kind of two ends of the spectrum. So what's going on, I think, really at the fundamental level is it's all about cultivating a relationship. God the Father wants to cultivate a relationship with you, with me. And every relationship is founded on the true, the good, the lasting, every good, true, lasting relationship is founded on trust. 
So the question is, at the end of every day, at the end of every conversation, at the end of every pay period, is do we trust God the Father or not? And this whole life that he's given us is like a clinic or a training program for us to learn how to trust him. And that's the essence of divine sonship. And you cannot be a trustworthy father unless you first become a trusting son. You cannot become a dependable spiritual father if you're not a dependent son. And so we don't pray, give us this year our daily bread or give us this you know month our daily bread or this bi-weekly pay period our daily bread but we pray give us this day our daily bread because god the father wants a relationship with us that's based one meal at a time mm. and i was thinking about my life a while back and i was thinking okay i've lived on you know over 50 years now and let's just say three times a day God has answered that prayer for 50 years. I, I don't know how many thousands of times that is, like 50,000 or something like that. That prayer has been answered every time. So the key is, is that God is through work, through money, especially when we're encountering doubts and, and the devil is assailing us in these matters. He's calling us to exercise trust. He's saying, do you trust me or not? I want you to put your hand in mine and I want you to begin to work as though it all depends on you but you pray and you trust as though it all depends on me. It's the 100-100 principle. 100% your work, 100% my work. And this is the good news with God. He's a great father because if he sees us being faithful in small responsibilities with money, with finances, and I think a lot of times God gives us very little at the beginning so we can learn to manage a budget, so we can learn not to overspend, so that we can learn to be temperate, so that we can learn not to be greedy. And then as he sees us being responsible with our tithing, responsible with the way we spend, then he starts to give a little more. He gives us greater responsibilities and more and more. And then pretty soon we look back on our life after 30 years and we think, wow, that is amazing where I came from. That is because God has given us greater responsibilities. God doesn't want us to win the lottery, in my opinion, because he doesn't want us where we have a lack of relationship with him. Mm. where we're totally secure, but he doesn't want us on welfare either where we're enslaved to the system and we'll do anything just to get that free check and we won't work ourselves so that we never learn virtue. God wants us in the middle position where we have a relationship with him through work and through money. And I believe that's why he's given us money. Agreed. I, if I could just jump in here, I think that's such a great point because the dangers, um, the dangers of getting um more wealth like this this huge amount of wealth is that we are tempted to think of what we would do that with that money even if it's to help other people right mm -hmm. and 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 I what you were just saying just really triggered that within me is that we have this if, at least I do, right? So if I if I daydream and I I pull myself back because I don't believe it is of the Holy Spirit either. When I start thinking about what I'm going to do with one forty hundred forty one million dollars, when the odds of actually winning any sort of lottery are so astronomically ridiculous and just it's fool's game to play, um, you know. But I do start thinking, and then I I'm like, oh, I would help these people. I would help these people. I'd help these people. But would I? I mean, and you have to ask that stuff, right? If I'm not growing in virtue and it's just thrown at me. What makes me think that all of a sudden I'm going to be able to handle this amount of money? And and I'm glad that you talked started talking about this, Devin, for another reason. Because if people dropped off before this, they would say that this episode was just dogging on money. But that's not that's not it, right? And yeah. and that money uh, in and of itself is you know is a temptation. It's it's good. It's something that is is necessary within society. It's of the Creator. But what we have today is this other concern: is that it has no ceiling, and that's you know when when 
when artificial wealth or money that we have today is the only ends or the only goal in them of themselves, there's no ceiling to it. The miser always wants more. He wants to take his $141 million and he wants to invest it at a 10% you know, return year over year or 12% if it's a good year, et cetera, because it's never enough because we have we have lost the point and the purpose of life. We have lost the purpose of our relationships within that. And and just so you guys don't think that this is just us wanting to talk about the fact that we don't have money and we wish we had more money. <laughs> this is this is very, this is, think of the 10 commandments and I wanted to bring that up. Back to Moses, God knew this, right? There are eight exterior commandments and two interior commandments. Those eight exterior commandments are all about thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, et cetera. But the two interior commandments, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods are both based off of, of, of fighting this natural tendency within us, which is avarice or which is greed, right? It's that desire for possession, that desire for more. Those are the only two interior commandments. And then when we flash forward to uh, scripture, we see in Christ, we see Christ talk against the riches and wealth to a scandalous degree to his disciples. And I'd say that it's scandalous to us today when the rich young man comes up to him and, you know, I've done it all. I've got, I've I did the checklist. I've never, um, you know, done anything against the law. And Christ says, well, then go sell all that you have. But he was wealthy. And so he left, he couldn't do that, right? Because his possessions, his identity was, was attached to these possessions. And then again, the final thing I'm gonna say, the church in her wisdom understands this as well, is that avarice or greed is placed like on Thomas Aquinas' list of, of the seven deadly sins, number two, lust being like number six. And um, and we can see that very frequently throughout the church is that this idea of greed or avarice is always placed next to pride. Thomas Aquinas says that it is uh, the root of all um, sins. And um, I actually have the quote here where he says, a covetousness or a greed is the root of all sins because it's the immoderate desire for temporal possessions, which can be estimated in money. So it's that immoderate desire that we all can fall into, which is why it's so important to be aware of this, because if we're not aware of this, it will eventually be controlling us. So now's the time in the episode uh, where we get to talk about the question. But before we get there, if you liked what we talked about in that portion of the episode right now, head over and you want to hear more of it, catholicgentlemanplus.com. The full episode will be out there today. And before we get to the question for today's episode, we also have one of our close friends that is running a very cool event on homesteading. Uh, Jason Craig, who's a great man and a great friend of the Catholic Gentleman, is uh, running an event on November 11th. So Sam, if you want to share a little bit more about what's going on there at St. Joseph's Farm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a lot of you listening to this episode might already have some of these ideas. You maybe have been reading some books on agrarianism and longing for a simple life uh, that's maybe not driven so much by money, uh, but is driven by other values. Uh, if so, and you've been longing for a little piece of land and some animals and some uh, a big garden, you know, there are some risks involved. It's not as simple as it seems. Homesteading can actually be incredibly challenging, uh, having been there and done that. Um, I know that there are a lot of pitfalls. Um, and Jason Craig is a master at this. He's been doing this for probably decades now. He uh, knows what he's talking about. And he's um, had a homestead for, for quite a while. And he's putting on at his St. Joseph homestead um, on, uh, let's see what the, the actual dates are, November 10th and 11th of this year. 
Uh, so coming up very, very quickly, um, he is doing a homesteading planning project at his St. Joseph farm. And you can fly out there. Basically, what he will do is he'll guide you through the process of coming up with a plan that won't fail. You won't buy, you know, 10 acres and then, you know, a year or two into it, realize this has been a disaster and try to sell it and lose a bunch of money. Like Jason Craig can guide you through that, help you prevent prevent uh, a bunch of the, the common pitfalls uh, and really get your plan together so that you can succeed in that lifestyle. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. So uh, the uh, link will be in the show notes there. You guys want to click on it and head over if you're around the area or if basically just discerning this is something that you're at, this event can be for you. It's going to help you decide is now the time or not. And maybe you just have so been disgusted by your own uh, temptations to greed and covetousness and the idea of just getting on the land is is for you. I get it. So um, head over there and check that out. See if that's right for you. There it is. A clear guide to why Christ spoke about sin more than any other and what we need to do about that today. Discussing the modern mindset as it relates to money. That's The Catholic Gentleman. You can hear the full conversation on Podcast Central. Just go to EWTN.com slash radio and get in on that. I'm Ace McC- Okay, as Coast to Coast takes a quick break, we're going to come back and continue our manly discussions as the Catholic Man Show wants us to know what does it mean to know the will of God, spiritual concerns, what does that mean when it comes to fidelity and the order of God, and then this week to discuss what it means when it comes to the perfection of the soul. That's coming up next on this week's Catholics Coast to Coast. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN Radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. Welcome to the Catholic. Oh, welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. We've been already talking. We've already I mean, started maybe the show. someone's just joining us. If you're just joining us, welcome. Welcome. Uh, we're talking about perfection of the soul, based off of the imitation of Christ. Uh, yeah. No abandonment to divine providence. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. Abandonment. In oh. French, it was just le abandon, le abandon, or something. I don't speak French. It's something like that. <laughs> It's L apostrophe abandon. Okay. For our French speaking sort of uh, like, listeners. Sort of like Le Miserable. Le Miserable. Okay. Just with the L. We don't have that. Let's get going on it. So the like the main the crux of the matter here. Mm. The cross of the matter. And then now we're gonna get into the rest of the story. And now you know the rest of the story. Is it's. I think his point here is very similar to the little way. Okay. You know that just the ordinary things can sanctify you. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really his big point. So um, when you read the book, it's 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 a nice book to reference because the first chapter there's like headings, and then there might be like a couple pages or maybe just a couple paragraphs on that particular heading. Mm-hmm. Right. I like reading those kinds of books because. Like, oh, that's not the heading I'm 
wanting to read, right? So you keep go, you know, mm-hmm. and instead of just having to like read through a chapter that's 25 pages long, it's divided up, you know, it's like clearly this is how men should be you know, like, this, this is how men naturally want to write and read, okay? According to headings, organized boxes, right? Um, so I, I'm not, we're not going to cover all the headings in the first chapter, and some of them I've put together, I, I've combined here, but okay. um, I just want to like kind of go one at a time and then, and then discuss. Very well. Okay. So um, the, fir- the very first thing he talks about is he kind of, he's using the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph, as um, an example. And he says that spirituality consists in fidelity to the order of God. Okay, so God has ordered things to be a certain way, and simply just being faithful to that. And he says that Mary, whatever her occupations, common or extraordinary, they were in her eyes only appearances, now obscure, now brilliant, but under both she found she found them to be equally the means of glorifying God and recognizing the operation of the Almighty. So whether she was doing something great or menial, she, she, I, I don't think what he's saying is she didn't distinguish between those things. She didn't view the great things as more of an opportunity to recognize God's work in her life than the most commonplace things. Hmm. So this is uh, just a complete detachment of your own will. It is, yeah. So like when we, a couple of weeks ago when we did an episode on detachment, oh. Um, I'm glad we did that because I think it really lays a lot of the groundwork for what we're what we're going to be talking about here. Because the whole like, if you can get out of your own way, or you know, you can surrender your will because knowing that your Creator is has uh, a, a a will for you, a desire for you, you know, to be with Him forever in heaven, and He has a path in which you can take to get to that, and He wills that all men be saved, right? Yeah. And He ha- He gives an, uh, a sufficient grace for every man to be saved. And so the only way in which that does not happen is by our own fault, by either the world, sure. flesh, or the devil, right? Yeah. It, it is allowing us to uh, deviate from his plan. And so if the more that you can understand that my will uh, is only going to uh, make me happy or, or, or satisfy me or give me consolation or joy or whatever you want to say... When united with my Creator's Correct. will, right? Yeah, and He has His will is, is very specific. It's not; it's general, but it's also specific. Like He has a general plan for your life. You know, He wants you to like get here to these like, you know, bigger picture things. But also specifically, in this exact moment, He wants you to react and behave mm-hmm. a, an exact way, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think this is interesting because a lot of times people ask. Or they, they struggle with the idea of like, well, I don't know what God wants for me. Yeah. Like, I can't hear him in prayer. Uh, you know, like, I don't know what he's wanting of my life. Uh, I don't know his will. But I think it's interesting because most of the time, the vocation in which that you're living, that your state in life, is the physical manifestation of his will for you. Yeah. And, you know, that's exactly what um, what Kassad says here. Dude, I he rips me off. All I know the time. I know. In fact, I wrote a letter to the editor saying yeah. that you know we're thinking about doing char- an episode, like filing charges. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, cease and desist, copyright charges okay. here. Yeah, because you said it 
first, even though it was, you know, hundreds of years later. Mm -hmm. I feel like you should get the credit. So he, uh, he goes on to say that the duties of each moment are shadows under which lies, under which lies concealed the divine action. This is kind of very, very similar, but um, he, he uses this phrase divine action a lot, which it's a translation, so he's writing in French. Um, but th that just means God's work in your life, okay? The way in which God is bringing you to holiness, bringing sanctification to your life. Um, he says, in the moral and supernatural order, the duties of each moment conceal under their appearance of obscurity the truth of the divine will alone worthy of our attention. Okay, that last line, oh, that the divine will alone is worthy of our attention. I think that's really, that is very profound, okay, that you're doing the dishes. You're doing the mowing the yard. You're changing out your dishwasher. Yeah, changing the dishwasher, for for instance. Okay, changing a diaper. And it's not the important thing isn't necessarily what you're doing, but it's God's will for you in the moment. That is the important thing. Um and even though that probably doesn't change what you're doing, it changes the reason for doing it, and it changes the importance behind it. Because all right. of a sudden, if it's God's will, it's God's will. It doesn't matter if you're like saving a baby from being eaten by a bear, wow, or or changing the baby's diaper. In both situations, the thing that gives it its worth is that it was God's will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's oh man, there's uh, a a story that was. Uh, told one time of somebody, some guy who saved a, a school bus from crashing with all the kids in it, and he and he just he just did it mm -hmm. right. And then there's another lady who uh, whose mom who's a mom who um, out of pure love walked her kids across the street, something like that, some kind of example like that. Is this like a saint telling a story or something? I don't remember. Okay, uh, and, and but they said like which one was more perfect in God's eyes. And the natural inclination is like, well, obviously you save the school bus with all the kids, right? Yeah, because it's heroic. Because it's heroic. But the, the story goes like, no, it's the mom who, in charity, walks her kids across the street uh -huh. to school. Because she did it intentionally out of love. Right. And he did it out of uh, virtue, out of habit, you yeah, could maybe say. Maybe even a, nat a natural instinct. virtue. Yeah, nat some sort of natural virtue that he possesses, an instinct, mm -hmm. which is good. It, yes. Both were good, but... right. One's supernaturally good. Right. So, uh, which is hard to like unpack or so, think about in modern terms. Yeah. And I think this is going to, like, a lot of people have this where uh, he says that if our work, if the work of our sanctification presents us with difficulties, apparently insurmountable, I, I think a lot of people, um, like, uh, recognize with that? No, they, or, uh, uh, they're overwhelmed, and they... Uh, a lot of people are going to... That's going to sound familiar to... Resonate. I was, yes, thank you. Oh, that was driving me crazy. They're, this is going to resonate with them. Yeah. Not recognize. Resonate. I was like... Uh, you were there. Gosh, you were close. man, words. I got, you, I got you, bro. Thank you, bro. Words are so hard. A lot of people will... Um, re this will resonate with them. Where, you know, the idea of growing in holiness, it's like you're trying and trying, and you just don't feel like it's it's working. He says... It's because we do not know how to form a correct idea of what it consists in, that is, holiness. 
In reality, holiness may be reduced to one point only. And we said it already, fidelity to the order of God. Okay, so then he breaks this down into the active and the passive life, basically for the for the religious or the the layman. The practice. But this is this is uh, our blessed mother, right? The fiat. Thy will mm-hmm. be done. This is like what we pray Correct. every time in our Father. We don't say my will be done, but we say thy will be done. Mm-hmm. Right. On earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so, if, you know, this is just a complete surrender of your own will, saying, like, whatever it is, this is Job, right, in, in, uh, in the Bible. Like, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the Lord. Right. Totally. Yeah, having that fiat, that, which, is, which is what he says, and there's really, we're going to see a major theme develop as we go through each one of these. But for the act of life, this is for the layman, he says, uh, in order to grow in holiness, it just, you, it's the practice of, Fidelity, oh, active fidelity consists in the accomplishment of the duties imposed on us by general laws of God and the church. That's it. I mean, it's like, if that's, that's, that's what it takes. This is the whole... And he, I think what he's trying to say is don't measure your holiness by the way you feel about how holy you are. Right. Well, I mean, and this is very clear, right? Like, what happens... Think, think about two years ago. Like your yourself two years ago, you thought like, "Hey, I'm doing good. My life is in in order. Like I like I'm I have a prayer life. I like I'm, I'm, I got my stuff together, right?" And mm-hmm. then now you look back and you're like, "I was a train wreck." Right. You know, like I, I had all these things that I was going on that like I had these inclinations that I was attached to, these sins that I was holding on to. Like you, you had these, you know, understanding of like two two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, whatever it is. I thought I was doing great, yeah, but I was blind. We're talking about perfection of the soul today. One of the things he gets into, which I think is a little bit controversial, okay, which has got a little bit of an edge to it. I like it. Um, is he says that the, the next two sections here, what, the first one is perfection does not consist in the knowledge of God's order, but in the submission to it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that might seem confusing at first, um, but sometimes you don't realize there have been moments. I think when you look backwards in your life, you it's like, oh gosh, that's what God was doing. <clears throat> and you see how you resisted what was his God's plan in your life. Mm-hmm. And like you knew and you look back, it's like, man, I knew that God wanted me to like go this certain path. And I was just really fighting it. And I shouldn't have been doing it. Like I should have just given in because the whole time I mm-hmm. knew mm-hmm. and so, like, we don't have to know what God's order is every time. There are certain parts of his order that do require a knowledge of, right, so that we can obey, like uh, vocations, you know, moral, morality, right? So we, we need to understand those orders, but not always. So he says, perfection is nothing else than the faithful cooperation of the soul with the work of God. The order of God accepted with simplicity by a faithful soul affects his, this divine purpose in her, without her knowledge, just as a drug obediently taken by an invalid affects his recovery, without it being necessary for him to know the science of medicine. I think that's a good analogy. He also uses the analogy of a fire will warm you whether you know how a fire works or not. So I agree. Here's this next one, though, Adam. I want I want to get your your take I, on. I knew that's, this is the one you were going to be mm-hmm. pressing me on. Yeah. So reading and other exercises of piety, who means like holy reading, Mm -hmm. only sanctify us Mm -hmm. insofar as they are channels of the action of God. 
The reading of a book arbitrarily chosen independently of God's order is harmful to us. Yeah, I'm not sure what he means by that. So what he means is if you're reading either out of a sense of curiosity or because you want to be an intellectual, you know, like, oh, I see other people who are so smart and they've read these books and I want to read those books so I can, so I can look smart too. Okay. That that's actually harmful to us. Sure, because there's a sense of pride. Yeah. But the action itself is not the harmful thing. It's, Correct. It's, it's, the, it's the thing in which that you're, it's, it's the manner in which you're doing it, mm-hmm. your intention behind it. Are you reading this book so that way everybody can see it and you're flaunting it around at the coffee shop to show like that I'm le- reading about divine simplicity? Or are you, you truly desiring to know more about God so you can love him more and serve him better by right. reading about divine simplicity? Yes, I, I, I think you're right. I think, though, he's even saying further that... I don't know what he means by arbitrarily chosen. Um, you know, like, just... Oh, I, I don't feel like I'm being... You know, I'm either either like, I'm just random, I don't ever, randomly picking a book or... Sometimes I, I do that. Like, and it's like, because out of curiosity... Like, and when I say but, curiosity, but you, not you the vice a, of curiosity, but it's like, I desire a, to know more about this topic. And so I Right, go, but that's not arbitrary. So you have a... And your your library is curated, right, where you've intentionally selected books i'm not like obviously it's like like, what do you think i eat unsalted bacon okay it's obviously cured right just like my library right um so i i but i think what he's saying is that for the person who is uh, you could be reading a good book but if you're doing it once again for that bad reason even the knowledge that you obtain Mm -hmm. can be harmful to you and i think i think that's a little bit of a controversial statement sure um but I, I, I think I see, I see where he's going in that, like, oh, because you did it with pride, now you possess this knowledge pridefully. Right. Okay, and, you, and you're going to seek, because of that, you're going to seek to use it in a bad way. I'm right. looking for the next conversation so I can show how much I know. Yeah, that's always a temptation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so he says, without God, books are but vain appearances. Deprived with regard, deprived with regard to us of the vivifying virtue of His order, merely they merely empty the heart through the very sanctification, they through the very satisfaction that they cause to the mind. A proud man who reads spiritual books from curiosity alone, averting himself in his reading from the will of God, only receives the dead letter of what he reads in his mind and grows even drier and more hardened. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's really actually nothing to disagree with there. Yeah. I mean, like, you, but it's, it's not that controversial. The, um, what I like about it is that I've never heard anybody else say this about actually l- taking a form of a stance against holy reading. Hmm. You know, because, well, I mean, I think some I mean, people the might say, curio- I mean, Aquinas talks about it in the vice of curiosity, but he doesn't say holy reading, but he just uses like, I, when I say holy reading, I mean reading a like a spiritual book, right? Yeah, the, and in, in this case, I need to well, and this is say even, that like, it wouldn't actually be holy reading because you're not doing it in a holy manner, right? But it's a spiritual book. So, like, if you're reading Saint John of the Cross, mm-hmm. but just so that but you this can say I've read Saint John of the Cross, but this is an argument against the intellectual life. No, at oh, all. No, no, it's not. It's at just all. like intention matters, especially in morality. Yeah, right. So, like, if are you doing this because uh, like you, it would be a terrible thing to sit there and 
read and understand and con- like consume and understand uh, everything that's in the Summa by St. Thomas Aquinas, and you're sitting there reading it all, and your kids are over here, uh, they don't ever get dad time. Sure. You know, because... That would be disorder. It'd be, it'd be a complete disorder. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're focusing on something that's very good. The intellectual life, you know, something that's very high, but it's not according to your state in life. Yeah. And now your duties are being shucked. Yeah, so, I agree. I don't take this at all to be an argument against the intellectual life. Okay. I take it to be... I thought you were going to try to make that argument. No. Like, it's just, I've never... You don't very often encounter arguments against reading spiritual classics. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And... So I thought that, I thought that was interesting. So here, here's something that I, I I pulled because I thought this is what you were going to say, yeah. but I think it's still. Did I go the direction you thought I was going to go? No, I okay. thought you were going to try to make a a case for like we shouldn't be reading like developing an intellectual. Oh, life. oh no, not at all, uh, Adam. I would never do that. Yeah, you're smarter than that. Yeah, I'm like um, really really smart. Yeah. So uh, uh, Sortilange in the intellectual life, he talks about the intellectual life needs uh, needs to know facts, like it feeds on facts, mm-hmm. right? One finds facts in books, but everyone knows that purely book knowledge is not is fragile, right? So I can know about Jesus. I can read about Jesus. Atheists know. There are many atheist scholars right. who know a lot about Jesus. I read a lot about boxing whenever I was first starting to box, right? Like, what are the techniques? Like, where am I supposed to be in the ring? Like, what is the positions? How do I wrap my hands? How do I put my gloves on? Like, all these things in which, you know, to learn how to box. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know anything about boxing until you got punched until I got, in the face. Until I, yeah, until you got punched <laughs> in the face and you understand like what boxing is, right? Yeah, the yeah. science of boxing. And so like uh this is like the understanding of poetic knowledge. Sure. Right? Uh, poetic knowledge is experiential knowledge. Experiential knowledge knowledge, yeah. Um so yeah, so that uh, um and then he says St. Thomas actually devotes uh, an article in the Summa proving the need of basing oneself in uh in the real in order to judge. Mhm. And he says, like, and I, I love this line. This is, I think it's beautiful. So, again, basing oneself in the real in order to judge. In reality, mm-hmm. in order to judge. Yeah. And he says, now the goal all along the road must be the light of the way. So the, the real ultimate goal is judgment. For So he says, mm-hmm. the real is the ultimate goal of judgment. And the goal all along the road must be the light of the way. Yeah, and I think that's where Father Pierre de, de Cassad, and that's where the two converge, because he would say, unless you're doing it because it's part of God's will for your life. Right. Because if it's not part of God's will for your life, then you better not read that book. And in fact, he goes on, I didn't put it in here, but he uses examples of, um, if you are like, oh, spending time in contemplation, but um, your kids are needing a father, then that's the time you spend in contemplation is spiritually harmful to you. Or, right. or he yeah, said, yeah. or he uses the example of a priest who spends too much time in prayer when he needs to be in the confessional. Right. And that the grace he would receive from being in the confessional, because that's what he's ne- he needs to do, that's part of God's will for his life, that's part of his vocation, is far more spiritually sanctifying mm-hmm. than spending time in contemplation, even though contemplation is the highest highest call of all man, right? Just mm-hmm. that contemplation, c- contemplating God is the highest thing you can do. Right. Right. But this is why it's so But important. not at all moments. Right. And, but this is so important why it's uh, uh, rooted in reality. 
Yeah, right? that's because, a good way to put it. Uh, it has to be rooted in reality. There's a, a Plutarch talked about how there's a guy who was a, a, sh- a shipyard guy, and he would always, every ship that would come into the docks, he would pretend that the ship was carrying a bunch of cargo for him. And he would like get all happy about it. Like and be happy, like oh, here comes another ship, and it has all my cargo, and then you know this is how he lived his life. It's for me. It's for me. But <laughs> just to like order his oh, attitude, attitude the right way. Yeah, but but that's not rooted in reality. No, it's not. And so uh, the important thing, like this is like a false optimism. This is not like what hope. This is not the theological yeah. virtue of hope. Yeah. This is not. That's not what the, uh, the understanding of it. And so like has to be rooted in this reality. Yeah. Lies, even if they make you do the right thing, are not good. Right. All right, we're out of time on the radio. Go check us out on the Catholic Man Show. We're going to continue this conversation for just a little bit longer. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus. Let's 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 close with this quote. This one's much shorter. Let us love God's will, and by means of that love alone, everything in us will become divine. Well, the paradox of obedience, freedom, and our duties in the moral and supernatural order, that is Catholic Man Show, as we continue this week's Catholics Coast to Coast. I'm Ace McKay, where each week we also like to dive into God's Word. So let's see what's happening with this week's Word on the Word. Do you remember the parable of the ten virgins and their oil lamps? Yeah, as a kid, I would always question why they weren't sharing, because if my sister were there, I'd be told to share with her. I think little Melissa may have been missing the point. In this Sunday's Gospel from Matthew, we hear the parable of the ten virgins. Five are foolish and five are wise. The bridegroom was running later than expected, and when the women heard that he was coming, five of the women realized that they didn't have enough oil in their lamps. They asked the other five if they would share with them, and they refused, saying that there would not be enough oil for all ten lamps. The five foolish virgins were turned away because they weren't prepared. If you only focus on the lack of sharing, you miss the whole point of the parable. One could interpret that Jesus is the bridegroom, and we must always be ready for his return. We can't rely on others to make us prepared. This is our responsibility. It's like preparing for a race. You have to start slow and build up, just like you build up your relationship with God throughout your life. We can have the best parents, teachers, and even religious around us to form us, but we are each responsible for our own faith journey. This week, we challenge you to ask yourself, How are you filling up your lamp for Christ? Have you prayed today? When was the last time you received the sacraments? And catch us next week right here on EWTN. Bye. Bye. Better understanding, better appreciation for our faith and what it means to lean on each other. That is this week's Word on the Word. These and all podcasts you can find easily at Podcast Central when you go to EWTN.com slash radio. And then each week we'll just kind of eavesdrop on some of these great conversations and some of the best podcasts happening around the world. I will see you next week. Enjoy your extra hour of sleep. Hopefully you are feeling rested as last week was uh, the change in the time. But uh, in the meantime, remember to let God define who you are, and I'll see you back with Catholics Coast to Coast.